0: Do, 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 do. play that if you want to we just
1: did it because we're live
0: I just did it but I mean I'm just saying you can actually put it in the place where it's supposed to be
1: but we're live dude you just said it
0: they only heard the blamp part I just heard myself do blamp At the end. That's where that's where it cut. Well, sorry, at the beginning. That's where it cut in. Anyway.
1: Greetings.
2: (laughs) How's everybody doing? Tonight we are discussing how your I guess like how you deploy, right? The process of your deployment with Megan here on system.debug. Right. Question question mark. (laughs) Do, right. do, 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 I, like, I like, like, exactly. was um, really in the middle of talking at the beginning marks? there, and I just didn't know how to,
0: you know. <laughs> You're just throwing question marks at the end of everything. It works. right? Yeah.
1: It's going to be a magical journey.
0: <laughs> Tonight.
1: Process.
0: <laughs> do you have a process, right?
1: Oh, there's a process. <laughs> right? Stop, stop oh. making it questions. <laughs> you sound like a valley girl. <laughs> it's not 1990. <laughs>
0: So, so who's, uh, who's the process king or queen in here? Because I am probably not.
1: I got us covered for process. We got this. Do you? All right. Yeah.
0: Tell me about Stop your eating. process. Eating. <laughs> Brian's, like, Brian's, like, sneaking. <laughs> it's, like, way down here. He's, like, I'll just have
2: a... I'll just have oh, a a nice <laughs> It's a taco. It's like taco because Jared's here. Because he's here?
1: It's yeah, not Tuesday. Tuesday.
2: I know, but he likes tacos, and we don't meet on Tuesday, so I felt like, show him some, some respect, right? It's Jarrett.
1: Jarrett knows the best place to find tacos in San Francisco. Okay. Really quick, side tour. Uh, side, side tour. Detour? Side tour? Detour. Side, side detour? Side detour. Side detour. Um, there is this amazing place. I never remember what it's called, but Jarrett knows what it's called The nice tacos in San Francisco. Um, But yeah, anyway, um, (laughs) continuing on. uh, We're talking about deployment today, you guys. Talking about deployment. Um, You know, we're a lot more organized when Ryan's here and he keeps us like in line.
0: He does keep us in check.
1: He does. Um, So deploying. So um, yeah, uh, I believe Brian, you had some things you wanted to say about deployment to kick us off.
2: So basically, Uh so much like, about deployment as much as where the deployment starts, right? Where does the, the development start? Because in this issue, we're obviously talking about uh, code deployment process, not just like overall process, even though a lot of times we want all of that to kind of be rolled up into one giant uh, deployment. In this instance, we're trying to talk about just the development side of things. So. In my world, I think, and as far as like Salesforce is concerned right now, the way that they're trying to push process would be to start everything inside of a scratch org. Does that seem accurate? I think so. Yeah. So I feel like the proper process for deployment would start there, and you would go directly from there into production, right? Okay. Good, yeah.
1: Uh no. yeah no 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 no
2: yeah. good if you want to, go from a scratch or a sandbox. Right? There you go. There you, ha- you, well, gotta-
1: you have you gotta. Sandboxes, product. sandboxes are so important. Like they're not vanishing just because the x has scratch orgs now. Like, wait, wait what was
0: what was the one that we did when I was with you, Brian, over there at that place?
2: No, we Did would we, actually, we would develop in sandboxes, and then we would push to package. Oh, yeah, never mind. Yeah. Then, yeah. but was, now with like now with uh, SFDX, we actually a, we're able to spin up scratch orgs, and you know, with those like, especially when you tie like a one to one situation where it's like one scratch org per one Git branch or something like that, where you're kind of like working on tickets that way. Mm-hmm. That way, it, it just seems like versioning and separating all your code work significantly better
0: oh are the scratch orgs the ones where you could make it like uh, you can make it like oh, shoot what was the other one group edition, group edition or, yeah G. oh that right yeah those great. are the ones that you
2: just like spin up and they actually end up as sandboxes Man. themselves because they go to the test branch of salesforce so all like the cs uh is it cs orgs na and cs i don't know yeah. All I know is that that happened, like, right after yes. I stopped messing with
0: Salesforce stuff as, like, I guess, a full-time job, whatever you want to call it. I was kind of gotcha. sad about that. So you have to go to a sandbox.
2: Well, it's not that you have to, but that's just proper practice. Right, Megan? Yeah. So yeah, what absolutely. absolutely. And why does it happen once you get to a sandbox?
1: I have some. What did you just say? You just got all like microphone sounding.
2: Too, his face is yeah. too low. Can't even read his yeah. lips. Yeah. What is the next step? What happens to your code and why? <laughs> After it gets well, to the sandbox.
1: So honestly, you know, I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. I am not someone using a scratch work, but I can tell you that once you're in the sandbox, that's where all of the magic that I've been working on happens. Um, so once you're in there that's where you you definitely have to start doing your testing Uh, you have the option when you're in a sandbox to uh, you can migrate to a sandbox and you know skip the test running horrible horrible idea do not do it i'm sure all of us have done it a ton of times Um, but i'm sure that we've all also had that uh, situation where You know, that one time that we did it, even though we've done it a bajillion times, that one time it blew up in our faces and all of a sudden we couldn't deploy and We realized we didn't have 75% code coverage to begin with. And now we are stuck in a situation where instead of having that smooth deploy, we're now sitting there trying to get all these other test classes to get up to where we can have proper code coverage. Um, And so definitely that's where you want to start running tests at least see where you're at. and it start moving forward from there. Uh, but you're you're really going into the the place where you have to decide. You know, this is where you have to start thinking about what is your actual deployment path and where are you going? Uh, you know, I don't. I'm in consulting. Um, you know, you're in consulting, RJ. Uh, so you know, every client has a different route that they want to take. Uh, sometimes you you get to go. You have just that one org that you develop in. And then from there, you can go straight to prod. Uh, Other clients, you have that org you develop in, then you go to UAT, and then you're going to go to prod. Or you have, org you develop in UAT, SIT, prod. Perhaps you have like six different orgs you are developing in that are all going to end up converging in that staging org. And then you're going to go over into UAT, and then you're going to go over to prod. So it's all about making sure that you have this whole deployment path outlined in advance. Uh, The last thing you want to end up doing is getting to a place where you have no idea how many environments you have to go to and finding out, oh, now we have like three orgs we didn't even know about that we have to stop in and that was not in the timeline at all. Uh, Because I've had that happen where we didn't know that we had to do all these extra stops. Um, And, you know, that was that was something that I have learned that lesson now. And now every time one of the first things I do is find out, you know, what are the different orgs we have to go to and, you know, who's going to be testing in each one. Uh, And just making sure that you have that that path lined up in advance to find out who is where and why uh, and making sure that they understand why is is pretty important uh because one of the big things is when you're working on building out these packages and getting ready for each deployment you know you you do not want to end up with having you know a you know either you can use change sets if you want you could use things like you know cupada or you know using the you could use maybe it's Vape. you could use you know salesforce dx you have so many different options for how to deploy but the question is you know what what are you deploying so that you can make the right choice. And as you're making these different deployments, you know, some of these different tools to make sure that you, when you're building that actual package out that, you know, sometimes you want to have extra sandboxes available that you can do test deploys too, as you continue to build up your package. And that way, you know, you have, instead of 10 bajillion small packages, you can have that single package that you can do a quick test to a stage environment, make sure that package is going to deploy cleanly, and then go off into the actual org that you want to deploy to or go into production from there. And just making sure that you you have those available is, it's it's life changing. Ever since Salesforce started giving away sandboxes, I don't know how many of you remember back when Salesforce didn't give you like a bunch of free sandboxes. Um, but now that they do, it's so awesome. I love it. Oh my gosh. It makes life so much easier.
2: But do you um, think actually like on that topic, do you think like switching to scratch orgs allowed them to kind of like, like just that whole momentum?
1: You know, like I told you, man, I, I haven't switched over to DX yet. So, I mean, for me, I, I'm still doing the sandbox route and being in consulting, it's not like you you have that opportunity to to go through that path and set up every single client on DX anyway. I mean, you may be able to, but trying to get clients to switch over, getting approval for every client. You know, some only want to use, you know, this specific tool. Uh, you know, if they have something they've paid for, they're not gonna wanna use DX. They're not gonna wanna use those other options. They're gonna wanna use that specific tool, and you're not gonna have that opportunity and so lots of different ways that you can go there uh, but yeah so why don't what are your thoughts about the scratch orgs? you seem pretty pretty big on the scratch orgs and how much you you love them how many deployments are you doing well i actually uh, we speak. okay
2: so like uh and, and really like the process with the scratch orgs isn't too difficult. I can understand where at first, it seems difficult just because it's a CLI and if you're not used to it, um, like if you learned how to program via the admin route, you know, mm-hmm. I, I can understand where it might be difficult to kind of like branch out into even the CLI based integration, but overall, it's it's ridiculously simple. You know, the only difference being that when you're deploying to an actual org out of SFDX, um, hmm versus a scratch org, you actually have to convert the data. So you kind of go like all the metadata. So it's like, that's fdx force colon source colon convert. And it actually creates a metadata like folder for your, all your code structure. And you simply deploy that using MD API versus uh, having to, I mean like, so it's like one extra step in the process simply because of the fact that it's not immediately readable for your org, you actually have to convert yeah. it. But overall, just spinning up scratch orgs constantly is really nice for development. Only because of the fact that you're going, I need to work on one simple thing. Yeah. And I don't know how long, Like as long as I've completed that thing in 30 days, and even, even after that, really it's, if you're working with Git inside of that, uh, yeah. and you're, you're creating separate branches for all your different projects, it just allows for versioning and code control um, at a much higher level, I think, than Eclipse, um, or the the uh, why can't I Maven's mate integration or yeah. any of that kind of stuff? Like, I, I feel like the versioning for it is much more controllable.
1: So I mean, for, oh, sorry,
2: no, go for it. Sorry, I have
0: a, I have a question for you guys, for both of you actually. Yeah. Um, so in this in this situation, right? Let's say I have a scratch org. Let's say I store all my stuff via Git because I want to be a conscientious developer and I want to eventually have a team and then my team grows and I have more people, right? And that sandbox goes away, right? Can I now, or sorry, that scratch org, back one step. The scratch org goes away that we were messing around in, but we still have everything in Git in our repo. What happens now? Can I spin up another scratch org and
2: just pull that code down or like- I think already exists because you're using VS code. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. it's like any other code that you're pulling from Git, the code exists locally, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and so if you good. have multiple branches and you check them out, mm-hmm. at separ- you know what I mean? You're just like, oh, well, now I'm going to work on, you know, check out branch two. Um, when you spin up, because that code's what's in your repository right now, in your text yep. editor for local, uh, when you spin up a new scratch org and it, it'll push that code with it.
0: So you pull from another, you say like, oh, hey, here's my repo. And when you spin up a scratch or you can point to your repo and you can just, just pull it down, pull the code down. Just like you normally would without Salesforce. That's kind exactly. of what I'm getting at, right? Okay, okay. Yeah,
2: so Something it's just simply just like thinking. the fact that, yeah, you've got it kind of. Um, and now we actually do an initial deployment too. Like you can write plugins for it, which is really cool, um, that allow you to automatically kind of, in our case, we have one that sets up your whole deployment, so it's it, you've already got your branch code inside locally, and it'll automatically grab the class files and ignore the ones that you don't want to go over. So, like, class, apex pages, uh, status resources, object structures, all that kind of stuff, and it pushes it all the way over to your scratch org for you. But there are commands to do it manually for each and everything. Plus, with SFDX, you can actually have scripts that will load uh, data into those objects for you. So if you wanted to automatically have, um, accounts or contacts and, and there's a certain set of like, you know, 200 records that you always work with because you know that there isn't missing data and, you know, in my case, they geocode. So Mm -hmm. they, it allows you to do a lot more with that versus like spinning up sandboxes, especially sandboxes where you have no data in there ever. Right. Well,
1: Some sandboxes have no data.
2: Well, I mean, besides partial and full copy,
1: and there are, there are great apps that are that are out there for you to be able to get sam- data that it's just copied into your dev sandbox but it's from nice. it's another environment to, like rely on an app.
2: It's neat that you can just have it all set up for yourself and you just go like on deployment of an org like as soon as the scratch org is built, all that data is pushed over too
1: i I get you there i mean i for me, you know one thing that i that i think comes to mind though is you're saying you're deploying once once a week, you know. For me, you know, it's dependent upon when we are in the project, where we could be deploying multiple times a day, and we could be going to different environments, different time uh, throughout that day. In addition, it's it's the tracking of the changes, and you know, deployment isn't just moving from one sandbox to another and just you know where are you going, scratch or to sandbox. It's the actual, the entire process of that that communication. You know, it is when you have 15 people working together that are trying to be tracking all of their changes that are trying to be working together and to be able to, you know, decide which of the items that we're working on, should we actually be moving? You know, that's where where things start to get a, a little bit murkier for me when it's an idea of, you know, should we what to deploy and, and when and where, especially when you know, it's, it could be you know, at least we like to regulate, or at least I like to regulate who's going to do an deployment, instead uh, of where and who, where we're who, going. Who we handles <laughs> testing
2: on your software? Is that is that more of a in house like in team kind of testing, or is it? Uh, do you have like a specific QA team in your process?
1: So we have uh, we have a a spec- usually we have a, a dedicated couple of people that are also part of the build team, but they they are like the people that will do like our specific smoke testing and our regression testing. Yes, other people can jump in to help them out, but you know it's always good to have those people that know the the actual items like front to back to be able to know what they're looking for. Uh,
2: how do you, in do you know, cases for those?
1: So that's, it also depends on the project. You know, you can, some clients actually have a QA team that they will write the actual test cases and they will, that will be given to us based on whatever we have in like JIRA or whatever system we're tracking it. Other times, you know, there's one of the, the consultants or the, the VAs or the TA um, that will do it. So it's, it really is a case by case basis based on the project. Um, you know, it's, you know, personally, there is no actual QA, uh, department where I am working. I work at a, at a smaller company, you know, we're not a hundred, we're not over a hundred people. Um, but, you know, at the same time, that's what makes it so that, you know, we're able to, uh, to have some of that flexibility, but also where we have to wear multiple hats. Um, so it's, and again, it's that's consulting side where it's, you know, it depends on who what project you're doing and what that client actually is looking for, for, for their requirements. So yeah. And then, and the level of testing and how, how much each client wants can, can vary as well. Uh, you know, some people are, you know, we have strict rigorous testing and then there are, I've had projects in the past where, you know, they, they would move things across the board but you and you would think it was being tested. And then all of a sudden, you know, they log in, you go to do like a demo and they're like, I've never seen that before. And I was like, but you moved it to done oh, and approved. Yeah. And it's like, no, nah. oh, goodness!" <laughs> like I didn't know it was going to look like that, <laughs> but, but you passed it. Um, so yeah. Wow. Um, I'm a. I'm personally a big fan of of making sure that when, when coming up with that actual Jira ticket or that requirement, that we can we can come up with some sort of you know functional test to go along with it, so that you're not sitting there and you know trying to figure out how to test something later, and making sure that you have a positive and negative test for that, rather than just you know making sure you have your happy path.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, a lot of a lot of, I don't want to say juniors, but a, a lot of devs in general, kind of. There's, I guess, it, not a lot. There's a split, right? A lot of, a lot of people say you got to test, you got to test, you got to test, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of those people are split into different categories as well. Like, how do you test? Do you just do, like, <clears throat> do you test the front end? How do you test the front end? Do you do end to end? Do you do like, like, how do you want to test? Do you do unit tests? Do you do uh, integration tests? Right. All that fun stuff. And then there's that whole other camp of people who are like, forget it. Who cares about testing? Let's just run wild and naked and free, right? Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. I'm still still kind of stuck in the middle of all that nonsense, which I feel like you're kind of in the same place where you're like, look, we just got to test. We got to have our negative. We got to have our positive. We have to have all that. Just put it all together and make sure that when I make a change on A – that when it flows through and my tests go and it's a breaking change that I know right away. Right? Like that's the, that's the baseline for testing. I would, I would think, right?
1: Absolutely. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of every time we switch environments and I'm sure this would be the same if using a scratch org or a sandbox or production um, to make sure that, you know, no matter what, whoever does that initial deployment, um, they, they, they always have like a either a body system or that they're the one that's going to be going in there, so that there's at least that initial smoke testing that gets done right away. Um, and then from there, you know, you can go in and you can you can start doing like regression testing and start doing full on testing. But the idea of of anything happening and trying to hand anything off without some sort of smoke testing and going in there and doing some sort of, like, test, some sort of view to make sure are things the way they're supposed to be before doing a type of handoff is so terrifying to me. Absolutely terrifying.
0: Yeah. It's like hanging off the side of a cliff without any kind of ropes to possibly pull you back up. So I have a a question for you guys now, right? Yeah. Since we're we're on this whole process and pipeline sort of uh, thing for deployment, if you guys had your... I guess dream scenario, right? Imagine you start a company tomorrow and you're allowed to design the whole entire process by which you deploy. What would be your preferred method of deployment?
1: For for which part? Like like just give me a like
0: a, I'm I'm just talking broad strokes like overview sort of thing like Do you do the whole, like, UAT, do you do SI, like, what, which pieces do you keep, which pieces do you throw out on a,
2: on a just kind of zoomed out sort of level? So I would say version control on Git, uh, development in Scratch orgs, push to a sandbox and do testing in sandbox before full copy, uh... That way you can test in full copy against pre-existing data, which is usually the best bet for myself. And then after that, push to production. In a perfect world without having to go through a whole bunch of giant hoops, but that works for a much smaller company, obviously.
1: So... So... I like it, I like it. I'm a big fan of, I I wanna use JIRA. I like using JIRA. I think it's the best way to track my tickets uh, and making sure that things are, are, are tasked out um, and that you have the, as a, I want to, so that I can uh, written down. Uh, and then with that, I, I was actually just talking about this today. Um, when it comes to tracking changes um, and deciding you know, you touch a bajillion things in Salesforce when you're in there, and what of those you actually want to keep versus which of those you know are you know things that you know you may not be using at this release, something that you may not be using ever. Uh, I am a huge fan of the change log, and I think it is very, very important that everybody fills out the change log. But I think that the change log needs to be like managed by a you know either a a single person or like two people. Uh, and then from there, uh, you know, you fill out your change log. It's a beautiful change log. I've got a great one that I use as a template all the time that I, I created a few years ago. Uh, where you've you've got your Jira ticket number, you have which type of metadata it is. Uh, then you have the, the if it's a change, if it's new, or if it's a delete. And then you've got your notes that go along with it and your API name and it's, you know whether it's. Uh, the uh, the type of metadata I don't know if I said that one and then you've also got your deploy date uh, that that goes along with that too but um, or the date that it got moved off the change log not your deploy date uh, but yeah and then from there moving that into you know where you're actually using it and it's just like this giant workbook this this huge giant workbook that's Excel sheet that we work off of but I am a huge fan of this. It keeps me so, much, so well organized. And it's like a live and die by type of thing. But for me, when you have like a bunch of people that are trying to do it at the same time, and you know, you've got too many cooks in the kitchen if you've got people filling out every single tab. So that's why I'm a big fan of the, you know, having a gatekeeper and having everybody fill out this um, let's just call it like a magic tab. Um, I may or may not call it that on my <laughs> on my deployment workbook <laughs> um, <laughs> and so yeah and having that filled out and then going from there then using whatever type of tool to build your your deployment uh, preferably preferably not change that student limitations um, and you know and the fact that you know they have that page through thing where you sit there and you've got to click it like 90, 90 90 times to get to the next page if you delete something it sends you all the way back to the beginning uh, plus you know there's so much, many different types of metadata that aren't available um, i i'm a big fan of using, you know like mavens made or the how ide to do my deployments um, and then yes absolutely going to, to uat but before going to UAT, I like to do like a stop at a staging environment to make sure that my package is going to go smoothly. Um, then from there, going into you know UAT, having users do testing in there. After you know, there's some some you know, smoke testing, regression testing that's done. After that, once everything's approved, then finally going into production. Um, but yeah, and as things are, you know and also tracking all your manual, uh, manual tasks for pre and post deployment and making sure that as those are done, you know, having separate tasks for those that the deployment workbook, tracking every org that you go into and which date those are done on, uh, and, and marking those off and having, you know, who they're assigned to, whether it's, you know, a client or yourself to make sure that, you know, there's accountability there. Uh, but I live and die by deployment workbooks. I think that they're, absolutely the most vital part of a deployment for sure um i don't know what i'd do without them
0: i don't know that i've ever used or i can't say that i've used it a uh, deployment workbook like knowingly but i may have i don't know brian would be able to tell you better, <laughs> better than i can I, I have no idea can't hear you Brian you're like Brian. but you're not talking you probably oh, well, muted the yeah. yeah no I was gonna <laughs> say
2: like there there was no workbook you either knew how to do it or you didn't know how to do it oh okay yeah
0: so how
1: did so how do you track your manual tasks for like for your post deployment manual tasks Brian
2: oh well I mean like we have Jira just as yourself we just use combine on Jira um And obviously, we have, like, multiple different boards for the different types of products um, and the different teams, even on, you know, sub-teams of those products. And we just kind of separate everything for the tasks on JIRA.
1: So, if if for every org, you had, like, 50 – for your deployment, you have, like, 56 pre-deployment steps and, like, 102, like, post-deployment manual steps, like, how would you – how would you be tracking that just as Jira tickets that you would have to pull up for every single org you get? Well, go mind to? you,
2: like we have different, we have completely different use cases for Salesforce. Um, from my standpoint, I'm just developing software, right? So right. for me, there is no need for like other teams have their other processes. My team's process is just simply to these are the things that we need to accomplish by the end of the week. This is what's in progress, this is what's blocked, this is what's You know what i'm saying got a merge request waiting or requested or whatever and then you know this is ready for qa and then everything goes over to the qa team and the qa team uh does a bunch of rigorous testing and they've got a bunch of regression tests that they run uh and then whether or not it gets past them uh, it comes back to me or it gets ready for release so it's it's kind of like a different process simply because of the fact that
1: your products, right? And it's not like
2: it's not like we're managing. Um, we're, we're not a customer. Well, I mean, we, yeah. we are a customer and our internal logistics are all handled by Salesforce. But that's, you know, once again, that's in our headquarters and our company admin handles all of that stuff. And I don't have to deal with the ins and outs.
1: But at the same time, I mean, you are you are building a, a product and you're you're continuously doing this build, even if your deployments are once a week, you're still building like every week on top of the same foundation, right? Well, right,
2: but that's when you start getting into things like Git and version control, right? So because you're building on such a big foundation, you start branching off and just making sure that, you know, you're – working with what was pre-existing does what you're doing still work with what was pre-existing and allow for future functionality and then when that gets merged in somebody you know myself uh, pulls that down with everything else and make sure everything is still working and that there aren't any conflicts and stuff like that um, but really it's still just managed on like each individual person has their own individual jobs that they have to accomplish on a regular basis and everyone's tracking that and then when you're in the managers you know um we're tracking our teams and making sure that those specific individuals are accomplishing what they should be accomplishing and staying on track with daily stand-ups which is really important to us um yeah and the kanban you know what i mean like as long as you're like as long as those like lanes are really well defined you know what i'm saying for us it's you know this is what is selected for development this is what's been blocked this is what's in progress currently this is what's got um uh, this one's completed merge request created. merge request accepted, uh, ready for QA and then done. You know what I'm saying? So they have to hit every single board yeah. uh, before I can go out to a client.
1: So I, I absolutely get that. But when, I, when I'm when i talking about like the pre and post steps, I'm just talking about things that can't go into a change set. Like in tasks that, that or couldn't go into the metadata API or couldn't be deployed. Like if you have to, to make this update to be able to deploy something Uh, I guess I just never really
2: run any, I just never run across really any issues, um, especially with SFDX. And when you're using Git because of the fact that both of those handle merging so well um, that, and once again, you get the standard Salesforce errors that you do with a deployment with a chain set. You know what I mean? Like class does not compile um, unexpected character. Like we get the same sorts of, functionality back when you go to push the source to like actually p- deploying the code to a scratch org goes through a lot of the same kind of processes as even like a change that deployment, but just for code. So I,
1: I mean, I, I think we're talking about two totally different things. We might things. be yeah. totally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it feels like. Yeah. Cause I, I'm not, I'm not talking about like validation. Um, I'm talking about the, the tasks that have to be done so that you could even upload so that you could validate like the things that the metadata data API can't do. Um, like if you have to, let's say, you know, to be able to do this, you need to load these users. You can't load users uh, with the metadata API. Or if you need to make a, like there are a bunch of community things that can't be done that can't be deployed. In the individual tasks,
2: like in the individual tasks, everybody, like as you're building out your, or, or, you know, let's just say you're fixing a bug, right? Yeah. The product support team has to actually uh, uh, write down instructions for the developers to even replicate the bug. So there's already a process in place that like tells you how to replicate that. And that's going to be visible for QA. As long as that moves along, so that that kind of in itself is going to handle the process of like documenting the bug and uh, what needs to be how it gets tested and the instructions for all of that kind of stuff ends up happening. Um, but for anything what about that's
1: like feature requests, not like not like a bug, but what about build? Like something. Oh well, new. once
2: again, that has like a whole nother process. That has to go through. You know, sales. You have to determine ROI. You have to determine um, ACV off of that. Uh, you, and then after it like even gets past any of that kind of stuff, then it ends up in, um, you know, feature development and feature development. Um, we run along the same cycle as Salesforce does. So it's three times a year, right? Okay. And so those all kind of like get built up into big stories and they pick and choose based on how much they think they can actually accomplish in that feature and which ones are going to be the biggest, uh, have the biggest positive impact on our clients. And those ones will go into the next feature release.
1: So, who does the the actual like deployment into um, since since you're actually like building an app? Who actually does the deployment into the 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 org with the namespace?
2: Me.
0: Yeah, okay. I'm team lead. <laughs> yeah.
1: So
2: I take all the, I'm the one who handles all the, like for at least for my team, which is the maintenance team. So all Mm -hmm. of the bugs and everything for map anything. Um, But, you know, our feature team has the same process, but uh, the managers have to actually basically pull all the code in. We review all the code by looking at it line by line. Then we actually test it against our own tests to determine like what feature was this working on and, and then test as much functionality in that feature as we can. Then I actually build a package, which it then goes to QA who tests everything and if, or not a package, but a patch. But if, if, you know, it passes QA, then it goes on to the client. But if it doesn't pass QA, then I get a list of all new bugs that were either created or weren't fixed appropriately that would change functionality drastically for our clients. And then we, you know, rinse and repeat until we actually get a patch that we think is going to be a viable candidate. And then we send that out.
1: Speaking of rinse and repeat, um, what about refreshes, man? Um, I know that we we had started talking about this earlier, but what is your refresh uh, schedule?
2: Well, once again, when you're dealing with scratch orgs, it's 10 times a day. Um, okay. But I, I would say that for most orgs, if you're deploying code regularly, or, and especially with a uh, uh, customer-based org, um, when you deploy a new version of your internal software to the production org, all yeah. your sandboxes should be refreshed. At all? least ones that aren't being, no, I was just going to say like, <laughs> ones that aren't being actively developed inside of, right, okay. that already have copies of what's in your production org, right? Yeah. But I don't think you should be developing in a sandbox that is not a, um, that does not reflect your production org in some way, because otherwise you're just going to be screwing up your, devel- your deployments.
0: Yeah. I love conflicts, it. conflicts, and you're going to get all yep. this stuff, and you're going to see bugs that don't exist anymore.
1: Oh, so yeah. It's
0: going to be a fun time. Jarrett has a question, though. He wants to know, um, does your deployment um, workbook have a full rollback strategy and or steps for each deployment to prod?
1: Um, so um, usually we, we do have a, a strategy for what to do um, when if there were to be a problem with a deployment. Um not in every case would I say we have a full quote unquote rollback. Um, we don't always have a an option to go entirely to remove that setup. However, I have to say um, there was this really cool uh, uh, Dreamforce presentation by Stacy uh, last year that had this this mind-blowingly. <laughs> it seems complex, but then once you actually saw it, like it wasn't so complex, um, if, but you got to see the picture. But for how to do a rollback by setting up a sandbox, select like, switch your broad back to how it was before and make it so that all of a sudden you like undeployed. Uh, it, it sounds crazy, but it, it was really cool. And she explained how to do it with just like change sets. Um, not even using like the metadata API, which is what was blowing my mind, like somehow to be able to do all of this, it just, it was crazy. Um, I should totally find that link and post it up on the Twitter. Um, but yeah, super, super cool. Um, but yeah, no, uh, definitely always have a, we have always have a meeting, uh, before going into a deployment about what is our strategy going to be and how are we going to do it? Why, why are you laughing like that? Stop it! I don't have the ch- I don't, I don't no, the
2: chat. The like, thing is, like, I wonder if me and RJ didn't say anything, if she would just continue. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was wondering, like, how long we could get Megan to continue. She's um,
0: got a lot of stuff to say. Bro. I know she's like, <laughs>
2: I'm wondering, like, you know, how long she could go before before she realized. Actually, I ran out.
1: <laughs> oh dude it's like five ten too man like we're over time all right
2: um, on that note everybody thank you so much remember <laughs> like subscribe um to our channel follow rj the at the infamous rj on twitter at megan sf on twitter is that right